Have a seat. Thanks for being here this morning. You are a huge answer to prayer because as I drove here this morning, I thought to myself, is anyone really going to come at 830? A man of little faith. And we should also have a rule that people like Chad are not allowed to emotionally wreck the pastor right before he has to preach. Because that testimony was amazing. And it goes to show that the greatest joy for the Christian is freedom. Freedom from condemnation. In Chad's case, it was freedom from the idea that God had scales that he was weighing. And and Chad knew that there was an issue, but he also was told and shared with that it was Christ that could erase those scales forever. So freedom is a gift from God. In Galatians 1.5, Paul said, For freedom Christ has set us free, so stand firm therefore, and don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. So what we have is we have this gift of, of freedom, but we so often want to just go back and try to earn more or find out more or try to understand more when right in front of us is Christ who is all-sufficient and everything. And Satan's game is to steal our freedom. He, he wants to... to he wants us to go back and, and, and try to earn something on our own, to, to, to believe again in those scales that somehow God is measuring. And, and, and certainly I can't keep up with that, and I doubt that you can keep up with that either. And so as we try to add on and follow these crazy ideas, we are back in slavery. And Paul was really concerned about this for the church in Colossae. Because they had just come out of, as he described it, the kingdom of darkness and had been transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son. They'd gone from darkness to light. And now all of these false teachers were around and they were trying to get them to go back to the Jewish law and do these crazy philosophies and put them right back into the yoke of slavery. And that danger is there for us as well. And so this morning... I want to walk through this amazing passage in Colossians. And I want to take that timeless truth from the first century and and try to land it here in 2018 and understand that the danger for us is, is real. And that there are probably areas that we have all, including myself, have bought into that are distracting us from Christ, which means we are being distracted from the mission to make more candles. Because that's our mission. And so this morning we're going to learn that there is danger, but we can be free. And we can stay free. And we can protect ourselves from the inerrant danger of speculative Christianity. So take your Bibles, if you would, and we're going to turn to this amazing passage in the book of Colossians as we continue our series together for Christ. Colossians 2, beginning in verse 8. And if you want to grab that Bible that's located in that seat back in front of you, it's on page 984. You can also hop on the Ridgewood app and you can just download the material there and read the passages and, and resources and so forth by just clicking on media and following the prompts. Col- Colossians 8, beginning, or 2, beginning in verse 8. We can become captive to speculative teaching 
that enslaves us if we aren't careful. Because the enemy is out to draw us back into captivity. But there is a way to win. But it's countercultural, it's antithetical to what we are taught. It is by submission, it is about dying to self. And so let's begin with verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And then in verse 10, And you have been filled in Him who is all rule and authority. And Paul had been pounding this idea that Christ is all rule and authority. And we've gone through some of those amazing sections of this text that talk about Jesus as the creator, Jesus as the sustainer of the universe, Jesus as the purpose for all of creation. And what he's saying in verse 10 is that we are complete in Christ. We don't need anything more. We don't have to go striving. We don't have to buy into some kind of new philosophy. So the Colossians, as we read this text, are doing really well. Paul didn't plant the church. He wasn't the pastor of the church, but he loved the church because he was an apostle. And apostles oversaw the church. And so likely what happened is Epaphras, this guy who came and heard the gospel from Paul, took it back to Colossae, planted the church. Now he was the pastor of the church. And Paul was getting reports about how well the Colossians were doing. But that also helped him to realize that the false teachers were a great danger because the Colossians were just finding out about the gospel. They were just coming out of Jewish legalism and these false teachers wanted to put them right back into the yoke of slavery. And so this text is about how to stay free. It's about the dangers that lie before us. It's about speculative Christianity and how we can be easily drawn away from the mission and we don't want to have that happen. And so... Basically, what we're talking about this morning is this, that speculative Christianity puts your freedom at risk. Your freedom is at risk. Now, let me just define the term freedom. What I mean by freedom is freedom from condemnation. Freedom from trying to earn my way along. Freedom from adding to grace. When grace is sufficient for my salvation. And speculative Christianity is simply, I guess the definition would be nonsensical, arguing, or steering us away from the mission because we don't think that Christ is enough. And that's what steals our freedom. Because we want more, we're not contented in Christ. And there's got to be something else. So we strive for more and try to find more. Paul's saying, don't do that. Stay free. Now, Paul, in order to help you understand what I'm talking about, had this discussion with the elders of the church in Ephesus. Ephesus wasn't very far from Colossae. And this passage is actually in the book of Acts. And you'll be able to see what Paul says to them and the danger that we're in. I know that after my departure... Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Wolves are out there. And the hard thing about what we're going to talk about this morning, and the reason we're going to squirm a little bit, is that he's not referring to the obvious outside influences. He's referring to in the church, in the mainstream Christian world influences. And so that's what we have to be careful of. Now, it's easy to look outside, and we can you know, easily discern, like, when someone says there is no God, we go like, oh, well, that's easy, we, we know there is, or, you know, someone's espousing evolution, and we go, oh, we know that that's probably not true, we know it's for sure not true. And, but what's more difficult to deal with is what happens inside the church, because the people that are espousing these false doctrines or even twisting Scripture enough, or even well-meaning believers that are being distracted is that these people look like us, they talk like us, they understand us, but they're not necessarily from us. And so we have to be discerning. We have to be on guard. And we have to see Christ as all-sufficient, because contentment in Christ is what will protect us from all of this speculative Christianity, because what ends up happening is it leads people astray. It distracts them from truth. It confuses them. Whenever I walk into a situation where there's confusion among Christians, like chaotic kind of confusion, that means that something, someone has been led astray because God is not a God of confusion. It doesn't mean that people don't disagree, because it's okay to disagree, but confusion, and that's what ha- happens with these purveyors of speculative foolishness. They want to get you to rethink grace. They want you to get hung up on tradition. They want you to think like culture just enough so that these lanterns don't mean as much to you as carving out whatever you think you need. And so, having said that, Paul then dives immediately into the means by which the enemy is going to do this. And the means of captivity are speculative philosophy and empty deceit. He wants us to be pulled off track so that we are not effective. Remember his job. His job description is to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's you. You are in his sights. And if you think you're above this, then you've already been led astray. I love when people walk up to me and they go, you know, I'm... I'm a mature Christian. Oh, really? Then you're really not. Because if we think that we're somehow above this, then we're already in trouble. So the means by which Satan does this now is what Paul's going to dive into. And here's the first one. And this is the hard, this is really hard. One source of speculative deceit is human tradition, Paul says. Human tradition. I know what you're already thinking. You're thinking about all the human traditions in church, and you're thinking about all the fights that we have over traditions and so forth. Well, we'll deal with that in a moment. 
But in Jesus' context, he was dealing with it already because what had happened is these Jewish leaders had taken all of their tradition and all their laws and they poured it on the Word of God and you could barely discern what the law was anymore because all of their garbage was on top of it. And so Jesus had this little dialogue in Mark 7 with the scribes and the Pharisees. In Mark 7, 5, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to tradition of the elders? But eat with defiled hands. It's about washing. And the disciples apparently weren't reaching up to their standard. Well, this is what Jesus said then in 8 and 9. Well, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Jesus is soft, isn't he? Not a truth teller. You basically abandon the commandments for your tradition, Jesus says. And so that was already happening. And this was, the, this was back in the first century. Now, fast forward. Gentiles are not at all immune to this. We're the Gentiles. We're non-Jews. Peter talks about this for, for the Gentiles. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Handed down to you from your ancestors. In this context, from those Jewish lawmakers that were trying to entrap them, but we can look at this now and we can say, what are we handing down to our children? What human traditions have we replaced the gospel with? What are we doing in churches that look and feel really good, but in essence are stalling us from doing the mission, which is go there for and make disciples? Where has human tradition stepped in to replace a feeling of sufficiency and love for Jesus Christ. Because I'm on Twitter too much. And I follow a lot of Christian leaders. And there's a lot more strategy and doctrinal fights than there are just Jesus is sufficient. Trust in Jesus. Rest in Jesus. It's because you don't get any followers. Because that's not going to rile anybody up. But the problem is that's the truth. And that's where God wants us to be. He wants us to be totally enamored with and in love with Jesus so that we don't have to go anywhere else. We're not susceptible then to nonsensical teachings. But human tradition, I believe, is one of Satan's greatest tools in order to distract the church of today. And so we get let off and, we're, and instead of wanting more candles, we want to carve out something. One of the big distractions, I think, right now, to be very honest, is politics. Now, I say this as a guilty party because I'm a political junkie, right? I, you know, I read, I read blogs and, and I'm into newspapers like The Hill and The Federalist and all these. Nobody else even knows what they are. You know, I'm the only subscriber on these websites. But the problem with that is that it can totally consume you and it can, it can cause you to believe that somehow 
we have to be protectionist and protect our way of life and that Jesus isn't sufficient. And Jesus has called us to seek first the kingdom of God. And so, yes, we're all Americans and, and we're, we're patriotic, but we're, we're citizens of heaven first. So don't let politics draw you away from the mission. Eternity isn't going isn't to hinge on what our immigration policy is. Eternity hinges on whether people know Jesus Christ or not. And that's more important. And then, and then there's doctrinal fights that people get into. And, and, and sometimes you just kind of shake your head because, you know, and, and again, I'm a pastor, so I care about theology. But I, I see these people and they're, and they're saying things like, you know, that, you know, we're a real church because we use the King James Bible. And I go like, okay, here's the problem with that. Now, I'm not saying the King James is bad, but I'd like to sit down with them and have a discussion and say, like, well, you know, there's, there's some problems with the King James. It was written, it was translated by a, a humanistic priest, didn't have all the Greek manuscripts. It's been revised, I don't know, three times since 1611. It's got 100,000 some changes in those revisions. It's, it's not perfect. I'm not saying don't use it, but it's not the only thing. And, and what happens is we jump on these these theological bandwagons, and we think we're just a little better or a little closer to God than someone who's not quite on ours. You do the NIV? What? What? The Living Bible? What? The Phillips? You don't even know the Bible. Here's the problem. It's about trusting Christ. And listen, I believe 100% in the sovereignty of God, 100%. But if somebody over here struggling with that, I'm not better. Because Christ is sufficient for both of us. So don't let, don't let theology get you off course. And then there's the good old church preferences, and this is where you know it's going to go. The moment you hear human tradition, you start thinking about what it's like in the church, right? We have our preferences, And many times we mistake the Bible for preferences or preferences for the Bible. So we think there's just one way to do church. So we fight over pews versus chairs as if that somehow is going to be involved with an eternal decision for someone. We argue about carpet colors. Do we want the red or do we want the green shag? We don't want our church to look like the Dick Van Dyke show set, okay? But we fight over these things. But we've got to stop and ask ourselves, how much of that is preference, human tradition, and how much of it is really an engagement with the people that live right around us that are thinking a particular way, that are being influenced by particular influences, and that we can engage that instead of just getting our way. Because I'm just here to tell you that our way is killing churches all across the United States. And then there's good old folk theology tradition. I call it folk theology because there are sayings that are just a little bit like the Bible. But you kind of go like, I don't know really where that came from. There's the, you know, there's the one of, of uh, you know, when, when a person dies, you know, oh, another angel has been added to heaven. No, it's not how it works. 
We're, we're never going to be angels. We're human beings. Our souls, we're going to be with our bodies. We're going to be worshiping Christ forever. Or my favorite all-time one is God helps those that help themselves. Totally antithetical to the gospel. Paul actually said, in my weakness is when Christ is strong. And so, here's the point. Human tradition, Paul says, is going to kill you if you buy into it. Don't let that steer you away from the truth. Here's the second source of speculative Christianity that's going to kill you, and that is the elemental spirits of the world. The elemental spirits of the world. Let me define that. These would be spirits that deceive us. Now, how exactly this is translated, there's a few different options. I don't want to go deep into that. The ESV uses the term elemental spirits, though, which is the Greek stekeon, which is sometimes translated just the basic principles of the world. Basic cultural principles. Some would take it a step further and say this is actually the work of the demonic realm and their direct influence on our actions. But either way, it's a hierarchy that does not think or act biblically. Because God is sovereign, but he has allowed Satan to rule culture for a period of time. We see this in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It's the God of this world, culture. So while culture is saying, watch out for self, the Bible is saying, die to self. While culture promotes pleasure as the utmost thing, the Bible is saying, be self-disciplined. While culture is out there asking us to find the best part of ourselves, the Bible is saying, die to yourself. And while culture is begging us to get all we can out of life, the Bible is commanding us to live for eternity. And so culture and the Bible are like this. Now, not everything in culture is bad. I just saw this documentary. Wendy was thrilled. A two-hour documentary on Tony Bennett on Netflix. She was, you know, like she was immediately sleeping. It's the quickest I've ever seen her go to sleep. The, uh, Tony Bennett music is not bad. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. It's, music is a gift from God. I'm talking about the philosophical beliefs that have been entrenched by the God of this world that lead us away from our faith. And that's what we need to be careful of. And that's what the Colossians were dealing with as well. The culture will lead you away. The Bible will lead you toward Christ. So human tradition, elemental spirits will all come and get you. But there is great hope. So let's talk about the hope now. Let's get back on the right track before I let you go. Freedom and fullness are gained only from the all-sufficient Christ. I want you to get this this morning. If this is all you remember, I want you to remember that you can only be free through Christ because he is all-sufficient. If you look again at verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And so Paul's making this quick contrast between the elemental ideas of the world, which are empty in the end and leave us with nothing, with an all-sufficient Christ that leaves us with everything. And, and the brilliant theologian John Calvin, he, he defined it this way when he, Paul says, 
that the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ, he means simply that God is wholly found in him so that he who is not contented with Christ alone desires something better and more excellent than God. The sum is this, that God has manifested himself to us fully and perfectly in Christ. How about this line right here? So that he who is not contented with Christ alone desires something better and more excellent than God. That's convicting. Because for me, I get into these cycles of life where I don't believe that Christ is necessarily enough to do what I think he needs to do. And what Calvin is saying, and I think he's right because it goes right back to the garden, what I'm really saying is that God is not sufficient for me. And then I'm doing exactly what Adam and Eve did. I'm rebelling in my spirit because I don't believe that God has given me all that he promised. So the fullness of deity is so important because the errorists in Colossae were saying that Christ is not sufficient. You have to go off in this mystical thing. You have to worship angels. We don't have to go off in any kind of mystical thing. We don't have to rely on human tradition. We, we can fight against the elemental spirits of the world by just the knowledge of who Christ is, who Jesus is. Christ alone is the perfect song for this because that's the anthem of the believer. Christ alone. Scripture points to Christ. The Holy Spirit points us to Christ. And so the idea here is to stay out of captivity. So because I'm super creative and I have a, I have a degree in seminary, I'm going to call this your get-out-of-jail-free card. That's what they pay me for. Because the idea is to stay out of captivity. So how do you do that? First, we escape captivity by making a decision that you want to be free. This is where it starts. You have to want to be free. If, you're, if you have decided that you're going to be one of those people that continually is searching and never hits the ground, then you're never going to be free. If you, you know, it goes to any decision in the Christian life. If you want to get off porn, you have to want to. If you want to have a better marriage, you have to want to. If you want to be a better parent, you have to want to. If you want to be a better influence in your neighborhood or at school or at work, you have to want to. Then you pray and let God empower you to do that. So to be free, we need to want to. If we're, if we're okay living like culture, then we're in a lot of trouble. So you've got to want to. That's the first way to escape captivity. Otherwise, you're going to be like this person in 1 Timothy that Paul talks about, as I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons. You don't want to be this person. Not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. You know people like this. They spend their whole lives chasing down every theological nuance. And because they're smarter than you, they think they're better than you. When in fact, if you just simply believe in Christ, you have what you need. And it's actually what they need. So that's number one. Secondly, you can escape captivity by trusting Christ and not your own efforts. Calvin again. He who is not contented in Christ is not contented with God. And so this whole idea of, of buying into this talk of men goes against 
God and it is foolish. It sounds so smart. People that are off sound really smart. All of this talk going on in Christian circles sounds really smart, really wise sometimes. Sounds very compelling. Sells a lot of books. Have you noticed that everybody has a book? Listen, just because they have a book does not mean they have any idea what they're talking about. And just because they have a, a fancy bunch of letters after their name, it doesn't mean that they know what they're talking about. You know if they know what they're talking about, or whether they are featuring Christ as the center of what they're talking about. And so God directly assaulted this through the author, Paul, in 1 Corinthians. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So where are you, where are you at on this? Are you chasing the wisdom of the world? It's foolishness to God. Or are you moving toward the sufficiency of Christ? That's Paul's question. And then another way to escape captivity is to simply immerse yourself in the things of Christ. This is why we're bothering you so much. To get into a community group, get into accountability, study the Bible, know the Word of God, listen to the right podcasts. If you, if you, if you don't know, if, if there's someone ever, I love these questions, if, if there's somebody that's come on your radar and you're reading a book or you're listening to a podcast and something's just not quite right or you're just wondering, then, then ask one of us. On staff, ask me, ask Neil, somebody, what about this person? We'll, we'll find out for you if we don't know who they are. And we may have a strong opinion already. But don't try to go it alone, because there's too much nonsense out there. And if you, if you really want to get led astray, then dive into the Prosperity Gospel Word of Faith movement. Because that's absolute in, insanity. And... It is totally antithesis to the scriptural idea of suffering for Christ, making our lives count for Christ, and having eternity awarded to us because of Christ. And then finally, this is what I'm talking about. You escape captivity by spreading the word. This is not just about us. It's about helping other people to know about Jesus. And when we do that, then we are a bit immune to this talk because our focus is on going forward. When you're moving forward, you're not listening to this nonsense. Listen again to the words of Paul here in the text. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Christ is everything. He is sufficient. Your neighbors need him. Your friends need him. The world needs Christ. Because they are influenced by all this and they have no retort for it. They have just accepted it as truth. And it is guiding them to hell. It is guiding them to relational wreckage. It is guiding them to unhappiness. I am, it is tragic, but the fact that we're finally talking about mental illness and suicide is really important. Because that's where culture is driving us. People need hope. They need Jesus. And if we are distracted by nonsense, then we're not going to be any good to anybody. And so let Jesus transform you. But more importantly, let him transform others through you. Just take a moment in prayer. And I want you just to, to take a moment and just think through your, 
your thought life, where you spend your time. Ask God maybe in the coming week to just begin to reveal what are the areas that you've maybe bought into a fallacy or what are the things that maybe you believe in tradition that are really stalling you. Just take a moment in silence and I'll I'll close. God, I repent of my own arrogance of how I believe that my own belief system is the only belief system and that other Christians are always in error because I've got this theological thing all figured out. I repent of that because that just stalls me and stalls others. I repent of the fact, God, that I'm so tuned into politics that I forget who I really am and I'm a citizen of heaven. I repent of that, God. I want to spend more time with you than with that. And God, I pray as a church and as believers that you would help us each to just fall back in love with you. Help us to trust you completely. Help us to just live and abide in your grace. Help us to to be effectual so that people around us will come to faith. Help us to guide them away from the untruth of the world to the truth of Scripture, the truth of Jesus. And Lord, I pray if there are any false teachers that are involved with our fellowship, that you would silence them, God, and protect the sheep of whom I love very much. And I just pray, God, that you would put a hedge of protection around this church. Help us to be a church that lives in truth, but not arrogantly. Lives in truth, but loves, cares about others. And I pray this in your name. Amen.